It's true. Okay. All right. We don't have amplification this morning, so I'm going to hold this like I'm singing into a hairbrush. <laughs> you know, how many of y'all have done that, looking in the mirror, singing into your hairbrush? That's where all great stars are born. Anyway, this morning as we get started, um, we want to open up in prayer. We're kind of running a little late because of our technical difficulties, so we'll jump right in. Does anybody have a prayer request this morning? Something that you want us to pray about this morning together? Yes, sir. Okay. Wow. Pray for that burn. Burns are very painful. Anybody else? Anybody else? I just saw the Amber Alert from a young girl in Roy City. You know, teenage girl. We need to remember that that, that, I mean, that's right here, obviously, in our locale. So we need to pray that she, I don't know if it's a runaway, abduction. We don't ever know. But we just pray that she's returned home safely. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and to study your word, Lord God. I pray that you would reveal deep truths to our heart. And right now we come together in agreement with these needs, Lord. I pray for this one who has burns, God. I pray that you would touch this body and that the skin would be begin to heal and to grow back appropriately and the pain would be alleviated, Lord. We pray for this teenage girl that is lost from her family, Lord. I pray that you would restore this. I pray, God, that she would be safe and be returned without harm or incident, Lord God. And we ask, God, right now that you would give us ears that are circumcised to hear a heart that is set apart unto your word, Lord God, and give us revelation knowledge in this place, Lord God, and let us walk out eternally changed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as we continue to look at um, the ministry of prayer in the church. This is really odd holding this. I feel like it, I'll hold it down here. If we, if we look at the ministry of prayer in the church, we continue today to use Watchman Nee's book called The, ministry, the Prayer Ministry of the Church. And there are just some things in there that were just so amazing to me and, and kind of challenged me as I read them. Because how many of you are so taught and so, so disciplined in your thinking with regard to God that we know that nothing is impossible with God, right? And we say that and we know it and we understand the sovereignty of God and, and what length that sovereignty is and we don't dispute that. I never, ever, ever for a minute want to, want to espouse a philosophy that says that God is not ultimately in control from start to finish. He is Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. But then sometimes in being steeped in that doctrinal philosophy and, and believing that in our human understanding, we can also adopt a philosophy that we are sort of here just set adrift with our sail up and whatever wind fills our sail, that's where we go. That circumstance just drives us and we are at circumstances um, mercy. And that there's really nothing that we do. One time I had a friend and she went through the tragedy of losing a baby. That would be terrible, right? You can imagine how horrendous that would be. And many of you don't have to imagine it. You may have walked through that. And she lost a baby that was a, a difficult pregnancy and, and the baby was born and only lived for a short few hours and then died in her arms. That would be terrible. But after that, she went through a trying time where, because she had prayed so long for the healing of that child and it didn't happen, that, 
that she went through a time that she, and she told me, she said, you know, Andrea, people ask me, I go up to the altar and I pray for people. But I know God's going to do what he wants to do anyway. And see, sometimes, and I'm not saying, and I didn't have words. It wasn't the, that's not the place to correct someone, is it? And so I didn't have words for her because I knew that so many times our circumstance, we talk out of our hurt. And we let our experiences define our doctrine. And that's hard. And I don't have, like, pat answers for you. I don't. I would be a fool to act like I had all the answers or to think that everything that happens is the will of God. We, we can't get caught in that. Now, we do know that if we pray for a person and they pass, if they pass in the Lord, especially a baby, obviously, that they're in a better place and that they, we will be reunited with them one day. We see that in David in his life as Bathsheba and him. They bore the child in sin, right? And that child died. And David prayed while that child was alive. David prayed and he wept before the Lord and he wept and he wept and he wept. David, the great king, the man after God's own heart, and he had, he had repented of his sin with Bathsheba, and God in his merciful kindness had forgiven him, right? We understand. We know that God doesn't classify sin as, as you know, low degree, high degree, mid degree, but we all understand that sin does carry different consequences, doesn't it, in the earth? If I rob a bank, I'm going to be subject to different consequences than if I steal a piece of bubble gum. So we understand that sin is sin before God. And so David prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and God did not answer his prayer to heal the child. The child died. And after the child died, David did something that was so confusing to the people in his kingdom, right? He wiped his eyes and he got up and he got out and he... And he got dressed, and he gathered himself and seemed to be put back together. And the people were so perplexed as to, while the child was alive, you wept and wept and wept and mourned and fasted and, and had sackcloth on. He said, and when the child died, now you've stood up and you've resumed your kingly duties. What's going on, David? He said, I cannot bring the child back. Now I can only go to where he is. So we see that. See, we live within that context of understanding. And, and we don't always have all the answers. And so we don't try to program God with all of our answers. But in so doing, let's not miss all that God has for us because we have taken a more of an agnostic approach to God to say whatever God wants to do, he's going to do. Because we see also, as I'm going to share with you in this, in this particular passage here in Exodus, the 17th chapter, we see another scenario, and it's not right. We can't use one scenario and not use another. We have to take the whole counsel of God's word and ask for wisdom from the Holy Spirit to find out what we ground our faith in and what is our appropriate footing. This is the war against Amalek after the children of Israel are delivered from Egyptian bondage. You may know it well. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out. Fight against 
Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and when they, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now, let me ask you this question. In this account, was it God's will for Israel to prevail against Amalek? We don't, why would God deliver Israel out of Egyptian bondage and cross them through the Red Sea and deliver them through plagues and signs and wonders and all of these things just to bring them to a place and then to murder them by another enemy? Why? That doesn't make any sense to the mind. Yet let me ask you this other question. Had Moses not raised his hands, would Amalek destroy Israel? So as we look at this, my point in, so you say, what, what are we talking about here, Andrea? My point in using this particular story is to ground my argument today is that heaven responds to earth. Heaven responds to earth. Earth-heaven has a connection and no matter what we try to do, we cannot obliterate that connection because we have some warped view of God's sovereignty. If everything was God's sovereignty, then Moses didn't have to lift his hands. Aaron and Hur didn't have to support him. He didn't have to do that. Joshua could have gone out there with a feather and a booger and defeated Amalek. Is that true or not? So see, we have this tension here of having something that we have to do. I could give you case and case after case. How about Hezekiah as he laid on his sickbed and the prophet came to him and said, you're going to die, buddy. Was he going to die or was just some, you know, mind trick of God? God knew ultimately that he would pray and that he would do this. And so God's just, God, if we believe that about God, he is some sort of a psycho who's always running mind tricks on us. You see what I'm saying? That we're just puppets and he's laughing at our expense. So Hezekiah, was he going to die? You darn right. He was going to die. But Hezekiah, who was on earth in his sick bed, turned his face to the wall and he prayed to God that God might extend his life. And God heard his prayer and he all heaven altered earth. Earth altered heaven because earth responded to an information and heaven changed the course for earth. True or not? 
So we look at that, we understand that in God's sovereignty, He has sovereignly pledged to work with man who is on earth because He made us His image bearers and He wants us to govern the earth much like He would and He wants us to exercise that authority. I believe that the term military uses, and I'm sure many of you can help me on this, is if you don't do your job that you are assigned to, it's called dereliction of duty. Is that right? It's not a good thing to do, right? You might get warned a couple of times, but pretty soon you get kicked out, don't you? You lose your money. You get a whole bunch of stuff, huh? So many times, how if we... I could just use that. Let's just use that scenario a little bit. If your commanding officer gives you a duty and you choose not to do it, he's sovereignly assigned a duty to you, right? Under his authority, he gave you an authority. But you chose not to assume your authority and stand your post and do what you were told to do, and that's called dereliction of duty. And so there are ramifications to that. I submit to you that much of earth's problems are earth's dereliction, the church's dereliction of duty. Now, when we see that, we're like, wow. And I told you last week how I came to this lesson. I come here as a student myself and as one who has been corrected by the Lord. Because I told the Lord that my, my personal prayer life was enough my reading, all these things. I, and I'm not saying that your personal prayer life is not powerful, not needed. Your time in the Word, all of these things. That is one off, this one assignment that you have. Please don't misunderstand. Your personal communion with the Lord is so vital, so, so, so vital. I can't, I can't stress it enough. But the Lord told me that my, my personal prayer life would not give me a pass on the public corporate anointing of coming together in the assigned duty of the church of binding and loosing and operating in that governmental authority. He told me straight up, it's not the same. You don't sit in this, because I didn't want to come to 714 prayer. I was up, I just didn't want to come. I didn't see the, honestly, I didn't see the value. I know many of you would never say that, but you agree with me. What do you mean you agree with me? You don't come either. That's one thing I'm good at, y'all. I just call a spade a spade. You know what I mean? And we can all, it's all right. Let's just be honest. But most of our dereliction of duty as the church is seated in ignorance. Some's laziness. Some's rebellion. But it's seated somewhere. But it's probably seated in our carnal flesh. In that we don't fully want to submit to God. We want a God we keep on a short leash who shows up when we need him to get us out of problems. And then we want to, we want to set him aside when we got it on our own. All of us have some measure of that working in our life. How do I know? Because you live in the same flesh suit I do. And that's what we struggle with more than anything. It's just getting self off the throne. 
I mean, that's our big problem, isn't it? I mean, if I could just die like I'm supposed to, and I'm already dead in Christ, y'all. I'm just, I am. I am already dead. I just don't put my faith and my conclusion in that like I should, because the Bible tells me I'm dead in Christ. In his crucifixion, he dealt with my flesh. I just don't reckon myself dead. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not reckoning myself dead. I like that Paul was a Texan. He, wrecks, he reckoned himself dead. I reckon so too. So you thought what? I think he was. He said, I reckon myself. That's pretty Texan to me, isn't it? He wanted to be. You know what? There's two types of people. Let's just go off here. There's two types of people in the world. Those who were born in Texas and those who wanted to be. I'm just, I'm just kidding. That's Texas humor. Okay, just kidding. Wait. Okay, I'll get back on track before I get in trouble. Okay, so as we look at this, let's just read this scripture too, just so we have some. This is uh, Matthew 16. And um, uh, let me just move along here. When Yeshua came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? I'm at Matthew 16 and 13. Sorry. Who do people say that I am? And Simon Peter answered him, you are Messiah, the Son of the living God. Yeshua said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I will also tell you, because you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my community. I like to read different versions. just gives me different lens. My community and the gates of Sheol or hell will not overpower it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Wow. How many of you think we suffer from a dereliction of duty just based on that scripture alone? I mean, it, it really is. And I look at this and I think, I think, oh my goodness. But it's important to understand that what we are not doing is we are not in prayer. We are not getting God's hand behind his back and making him cry uncle. You know what I'm saying? Nor are we, do we have a prayer card and we're trying to get our prayer punch card enough punches in it until we have accrued the reward for our prayer. None of these things are what we are doing. But what we are doing is we are standing in the official office that the blood of Christ and the cross of Christ has purchased for us. And we have been elected, if you will. We have been predestined in Christ to sit in that official office to be the image bearers of Christ on earth and to declare what God declares and to, and to disallow what God disallows and to permit what God permits and to make and pass and decree kingdom law on earth that's pretty powerful and I'm ashamed to say that I didn't understand it as such 
I'm ashamed to say that I did not know in totality the understanding. Now, I kind of could have formed those words. How many of you know there's a difference in information and revelation? You know what I mean? You can have information, and it just seems to hit your head and just, you know, waller around in there. Right? But then when revelation punctures your heart, all the sudden, you know how you know it's, you know the difference between revelation and information? It begins to take hold of behavior. Revelation always captures your behavior. Information may not. You can know something and still behave just like you always did. But when revelation punctures your heart, you will begin to behave differently. Because now, I mean, your understanding is involved. But now it's much deeper than just your meager understanding. So as we look here, we find out, I want to read, I want to read a quote here from Watchman Nee. Says this, this does not imply that God is not almighty, for he indeed is the almighty God. Yet the almightiness of God can only be manifested on earth through a channel. We cannot increase God's power, but we can hinder it. We cannot increase God's power, but we can hinder it. How many of you believe that? How many of you think, that's a big responsibility on me? How many times have I, I'm not talking to you, because I know y'all are all straight up with a twist. <laughs> how many have you, how many, how many times have I, see, maybe I am talking about you. See, that's my Freudian slip. How many times have I, let's see, my counselors get it in here. <laughs> how many times have I hindered and prevented the will of God because I refuse to participate in the office of what God has called me to do? I don't want to see that spreadsheet. I don't. I ask, Lord, forgive me for my dereliction of duty. Forgive me for my ignorance to the power of your person in me. Because that's really what it is. It's a lack of faith in the work of Christ. Because if I still believe that Christ's sacrifice was not sufficient enough to put me in Christ and to put me in the place where the blood has caused me to come boldly before the throne of grace and receive help in time of trouble, then what that, and I won't do that, I have no confidence in the blood and thus my faith is not in the sacrifice of Christ. I want to add the sacrifice of Christ to my life as an accoutrement to get me into heaven when I die because heaven is so much more desirable than hell but ultimately my greatest desire is the earth ouch does that make sense 
But see, when I understand what Christ has done for me and how he has brought me in to the place of his belovedness, that I am brought before him and I am not forsaken, I am not destitute, but he has brought me into every covenant promise and made me an heir and a joint heir and has given me the authority that by which he says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him and he has granted me keys. How dare I through my arrogance and my ignorance and my laziness and my lack of submission to his finished work keep those keys in my pocket and refuse to put them in any lock for earth's sake. One day, I believe, I believe this with my whole heart, all the tears that are going to be wiped away are going to be the tears from your eyes because of how egregiously, woefully short we came of accomplishing what God wanted to on this earth through us, the church, His official agency, His company of believers who are called to do a work in these last days whereby we come together in agreement and in love for one another all under the banner of the completed work of the kingdom of God and we declare God's provisional will on earth earth oh I want to get to the place where we can speak to bodies to be whole and it not be some credit to our carnality that's what hinders the move of God me you we oh that we would understand the day that we live Oh, heaven, one, we are one body and we are of one mind. We have the mind of the Spirit. We, are, we have the unfettered word of truth and the promises are yes and amen. The method of heaven is not angels nor organizations nor movements or waves. I wrote this before there was a movement. I wrote this before the pandemic. Let me read it again. The method of heaven is not angels nor organization nor movements nor waves. I'll read it again. The method of heaven is not angels nor organizations nor movements or waves. His body is where his desires are carried out. His seated church is what makes it happen. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that's not a building made of brick and mortar it is a coming together of a people who are in their place of seated authority and they understand what their job is on earth and they come together in an official governmental capacity to pass law to decree to prevent to thwart to stop to agree with heaven wow what an amazing thing that we can do. If only we had the understanding for it and we said, God, give us a vision for what you want to do in this earth. But sadly, we have too many minds, too many wills, too little heaven, and too little release of heaven's power and authority on earth. Too many minds. What happens if we all get in the room and we all have our opinion? I think your opinion is great. 
We all have one. It's not belly buttons. We shouldn't show it so much, though. It's not as cute as you think. <laughs> Come on. How many of you love your opinion? Of course. How many think your opinion's right? I wouldn't have it if I didn't think it was right. <laughs> I mean, could I dare say I might be the most opinionated person in the room? Some of you other opinionated people would argue with me. No, no, <laughs> Randall's not even going to argue with me. Y'all are so holy. <laughs> we ought to have revival. It just takes two. <laughs> you show me. I'll get behind you. But we do. We find ourselves with our opinions. We're too many minds, too many wheels, too, too little heaven, too little release of heaven's power and authority on earth. Because we have our will. We all get together and we come together and we all have our idea. What will are we supposed to be attaching to? Just one will. There's just one will. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That's the Father's will on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Oh, our daily bread. Can I just tell you, the Lord revolutionized my life on a Wednesday night during the pandemic when there was zero people in the room. Zero. I'm just sitting there on a Wednesday night. Mike's preaching to an empty room. You know, I'm just sitting on the front row looking. There's no, Michael's there, you know, he's in the sound booth. I'm on the front row, Mike's up there. I think Angel's there too, right? We're just sitting there, and the Lord just out of the blue, you'd be surprised when God will speak to you. And I'm just sitting there, I stopped listening to Mike, started listening to God. <laughs> it's almost the same, y'all. It's almost the same. So, and the Lord spoke this to me just, because I, I had this thought. I looked around and I thought, thank you, God, that I no longer care if people show up to the house of God. Because somehow as a preacher, that's an endorsement on you, you know? It's either, you either endorse me when you show up. When you're here, it's an endorsement. It really is. And I'm glad you show up, guys. I am. But I really can't derive any strength from it. That's where my error will come. I can't derive any, because if you don't show up, it doesn't change me at all. Because you cannot show up, and then if I put some value in your showing up, then what happens when you don't show up? Then my value is diminished, right? And so I was just sitting there, and I was just thanking God that there was no one there. I was. I was thanking God that there was no one there, and that sometimes when you, you know, as a preacher, I don't know, I mean, some of you will know this, as a preacher, one of your greatest fears is that no one will show up. Am I right? Preachers, come on. If you've ever pastored a church, that is umero, nuna, umero, whatever, uno, uno, numero, number one fear, right? Something. That is number one fear. Because when they don't show up, it is, it seems like a, per, it's personal, right, Randall? They hate you. That's what it says, right? And it could be that they just got sick and their big toe got hurt. You know what I'm saying? And so, but we derive value from that. But that's what the error is, is deriving value from it. Because that's not why we do what we do. And so I was glad that there was no one there. Because I thought, by looking at an empty building, 
Now, number one, you did not show up because you had a peti- you know a petition against me and you were out, you know, but that's all right, too. It, it's the same effect. It doesn't matter. You just weren't there. You were no butts in the seats. Right? So there's no endorsement on me or Mike. But I sat there and I thought, I checked myself. This is what I like to do. I'm still good. And that's what I liked. You weren't there. And I was still okay without you. Now, see, that's, that, that's good. That was good for me and it's good for you too because it's good for all of us because that's the reality. The Satan always holds over us. His, our, his adversarial content against us is, is the what ifs, right? And when you face your what if and you find out it wasn't as bad as you thought, then what more leverage does he have over you? And I sat there and I thought, all of a sudden I was just freed from it all in a moment. Just in a moment, I thought, I don't care if they show up or not. I hope you do, but it just really doesn't matter. If there's one or 21 or 2,001, it has absolutely zero content on me and my walk before the Lord. I was glad that you weren't there, but I'm just as glad as when you're here. You see, there's no variation in that. And then the Lord, as I thought that, I thought, God, thank you. This is freeing. This is the most wonderful gift you've ever given me this is great I can go anywhere and do anything without fear because people have no assigned value to me and the Lord said this to me he said you know because how many through the pandemic there's like moments of anxiety because you didn't really know what was going on well the Lord spoke something to me because I find out anxiety is like a -a whack-a-mole how many have ever done whack-a-mole at the arcade the gopher thing that pops up and you hit it, and what does it do? It pops up again, you hit it over there, and you hit it over there. That's the way anxiety works. You can pop it down in one spot and it'll pop up somewhere else. And you're just sitting there, all you're doing is just whack a mole. For days on end, trying to deal with that anxiety. No, it's over here now. You deal with that anxiety, and you're like, I got that one. Okay, it's over here now. You know what I mean? And that's like, by definition, the, 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 the very core of anxiety is trying to deal with anxiety in that method and the Lord spoke this to me he said this and now get ready hold on to your self here change my life he said you know Andrea anxiety is proof that you live in idolatry that's what the Lord said to me well you may disagree but here we go here's what he meant I started taking notes I do know this, the voice of God. I said, well, Lord, he said, because when I'm not first, he said, that's what Matthew 6.33 is about. Seek you first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Because Jesus says that, what's that? That's a conclusion statement of another argument, isn't it? Why do you worry about what you'll eat and what you will drink and what you will wear? And then I began to look at that and I thought, first, when you're first, God, when you're absolutely first in my life and there's nothing else that's first in my life, there is no room for any anxiety anywhere in my life. Worry cannot find any place in. Then I started listing the the Ten Commandments. I started writing them out on a piece of paper. And the first one is amazing, isn't it? What's the first one? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then I began to realize it's not first because it's the one that God thought up first. It's first because when you get that one right, you could add 10,700, 900 million, it doesn't matter, laws to it, and you still don't have to worry about any of the rest of them. 
Because God is, it's not, it's a starting place. God is first, and therefore, I have zero reason to fear. There is no way anxiety can get in because, God, you're first. And any time anxiety tries to come in, now I have learned to say, nope, to the spirit of idolatry. Because what I am doing in being anxious is I am worried about who? Self. Self is moving right back to the center again. And I'm worried about how this is going to impact me, how I'm going to feel, how it's going to, what's going to be the end result of my life. And when I move self back off of that throne again, and I put God there, and all of a sudden I come to the conclusion, well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. God, you're in control. This is your life. You use it however you want to. All of a sudden, anxiety has absolutely no place to land in my life. I love you. I love every one of you with the love of God, but I don't care what you think about me. In the meaning of I don't assign undue value to it. I hope you think well of me, and I assume you do. Because why wouldn't you? (laughs) You say you're arrogant. No, no, no. That's called healthy thinking. That's what we call that, healthy thinking. I want you to think the same way. I don't want you to walk around thinking people hate you because you're no good and stupid and you already made assignments for, I know what you're thinking, Dolores. That's never good, is it? That's an assumption that's always bad, right? I know what you're thinking, Dolores, and I'm great, and you're right. Because Christ has made me. What if we did that? Because look what the Lord has done. There's no glory to me. It's all glory to God. And if you don't like me today, just stick around because I am forever being transformed into his image, made into the likeness of Christ. That's a good way to live, isn't it? I'm learning. I'm a work in progress. Okay, so now we come together in unity. I don't care what you think about me. I don't because I love you and I think you think good of me. Why wouldn't you, right? And you think the same thing. And when you know somebody, you see what that? You know what, Valerie? You know what so and so said about you? I mean, I don't know, but and you would say, what if you said, Ah, oh, no, nah, I know them. They love me, and I love them. Well, we'd close that right down, wouldn't we? We couldn't have it, and that's what we have to have. We have to have one mind, the mind of Christ, and, and get self off the throne. If I'm insulted, I'm insulted. I've been insulted before. Sometimes I needed it. <laughs> right? I mean, sometimes I did. So we have. Okay, let's look. Too many minds, too many wills, too little heaven. Too little release of heaven's power and authority on earth. Why? Too little participation with personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. Too little participation with personal responsibility. Now, this is not the message for Andrea. This is the message for put your name in the line. Right? It's your message. What you will do with it is your decision. That's not about me. That's about you and God. But I remember another story. You can find this in somewhere in Kings. After Elisha, Elijah, now you have Elisha. So I'm thinking it's 2 Kings. I may be wrong on that. 2 Kings 18, I get confused in the Kings chapters. But here's the story. Elisha is dying. He's in the sickbed and he's dying. The king comes in. The king of 
I should know this better, y'all. It's either Israel or Judah. Who can tell me that? Okay, didn't think so. Okay. <laughs> we'll check it later, right? But you know, the king of one of those comes in. I think it's Judah. Okay. See, we got say good. Judah, the king of Judah comes in. And he says something that has an intent to it. When he sees Elisha on his sickbed, he may know what he says. Yeah, see, we got some Bible students in here. My father, my father, and the chariots of Israel. Now, that's a, he is echoing what Elisha said to Elijah, right? And in that, we understand in the context that what he is asking for is what, Randall? What is the king asking for? If he's walking into the room, sorry to put you on the spot, and saying, my father, my father, and the chariots of Israel. If we go back to when that first happened, what did Elisha receive? He received the mantle of anointing, didn't he? So we have the king now coming in and saying, my father, my father, in the chariots of Israel, what is he asking for? He's asking for that anointing because he knows this man is leaving. And under this Old Testament paradigm, the, the Spirit of God rested on people differently, didn't it? So we have this here, and he's asking for that. Well, Elisha says, there's some arrows there, get them. He grabs the quiver of arrows, and he puts the arrow in the bow, and he goes over to the weakened body of Elisha. He says, come here. And Elisha, can you just picture this? Like a father would a child teaching him to pull a bow. I mean, rapid, wrapped his arms around the king. And he pulled back. He told the king to pull the bow back. But this time only, as a father and son would, the father would be providing the strength. But in this situation, Elisha didn't have the strength because he was dying. And the king was providing the strength to pull the bow. But Elisha was providing the prophetic anointing. And he pulled the bow back and he said, release it. And he shot the arrow and the arrow went out the window. And Elisha made an amazing proclamation. He said, that, my friend, was your victory over your enemies. The arrow of victory had been shot out the window and they were he was guaranteed victory over his enemies. Right? Which in that day was Amalekite. He was guaranteed. Now, how many of us can do a New Testament correlation to that? When was our arrow of victory shot over our enemies? Can you give me, who can give me a, a, a New Testament scripture that would prove it? Anybody? Victory already accomplished scripture. How about? In it, the cross, right? That's what we have from that. He, so the arrow of victory has already been shot. He spoiled what? Principalities? powers the cross has given you 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 me 100% victory over how many of our enemies how many is all include give me a number for all we could just draw an infinity sign behind that can't we what vic name some enemies for me want you to help me here name some enemies huh all the ites, but how, what do the ites look like in your life? Because I don't see any ites out there personally. What are the ites? That's true, though. What do the ites look like in your life? Lust. Well, you said landlords? We'll call it poverty. 
right? Ah, oh, fear. Anxiety, I heard anxiety. Come on. Guilt, shame. Ah, self, doubt, depression. How many of y'all have ever dealt with any of these ites? Okay, wait, 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 wait. Now let's go back to. Wait, I want you. Here, I want this is being recorded. I need that scripture having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it in the cross hallelujah all of them all of them all your enemies have he shot the, he shot the arrow and you have now been guaranteed victory but here's the second part of that and this is where earth has to participate with heaven and this is where we get it wrong y'all this is where it is this is the sad part. The reason you don't live in victory, the reason I don't live in the victory I'm supposed to, the reason I don't have my full inheritance is because here's the second part of that scripture. Who knows it? He said, pick up the arrows, the ones that are left. Pick them up. Strike the ground. And the king. Elisha. Oh, man, you're a fool. You had your enemies by the throat. You were guaranteed victory because of your lackluster participation. You will only defeat them three times. He said, you should have struck the ground until you wore a hole in it. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Yes, Tawana. I, I want to, this is being recorded, so we don't have gaps. I know, it's weird. One time the Lord revealed to my mother-in-law that in the clapping of the hands, that the enemy was reminded of the cross. And with this story in mind, the striking of the three times, very often when we are clapping, I will be one of the last to finish because I'm going to clap and clap and clap because I want it all. Absolutely. And I have so many times heard about clapping in studies. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph that in clapping of the hands that it releases our earthly authority. It shows the enemy that we have a body. it and here we are exercising and we look just like him and we are showing that dominion now you may think that's squirrely but i'll be clapping my hands you know what i mean i'll be shouting unto god i have a voice and i have a clap and i have a stomp because i have a body here and as long as i have a body on this earth you know what i have on this earth authority because when the enemy sees me and when god sees me he sees the image of christ so whenever i decree it and i know that god has already ordained it i'm not over here trying to make things god's will that are not his will that is a that's a stupid endeavor. You can't do that. But when we come together and we're praying the word of God and we're praying the will of God and we are taking the arrows and we are smiting the ground and we are smiting the ground and we are smiting the ground, we are accomplishing the victory that has already been won by the cross. And I don't want to park up in heaven and get there and not have received everything on earth that he had intended for me. If he wanted us just to go to heaven, y'all, as soon as you got saved, he would have sucked you out of here. 
right? If, if it's all about just going to heaven, you know what would be the most merciful thing we could do? Is get you saved and put a gun to your head. Is that not true? But there's a ministry on earth. I want to tell people now, pick up the arrows. Pick up the arrows. Pick up the arrows. Show me what you got. Let's not be accused of lackluster participation. And it's time to go. I mean, we have Wednesday night prayer. I want you to come in and kick over some of the devil's strongholds. I want you to take authority over sickness, over disease. I want you to capture everything, every bit of territory that the enemy has given to you. Let's not make the prophet sad. Let's make our prophet and high priest and king delighted in us acting like him on earth. He said, greater work shall you do. You know why? Because he was limited to one body. And when he said, when my spirit comes, my nature will no longer be limited to just this one earthly vessel. I will put my spirit in anyone and my, it'll be as if my body is going for all ages until I return and accomplishing my kingdom on earth. God is sovereign and we participate with that sovereignty and we are well equipped to get the job done right. Thank you, Lord, for this word. We pray, God, that it would go into your heart and change us today. In Christ's name, amen.